Hi, everybody. My name is Mike Manning. I am one half of the coaches at Wired to Change. Trinity is on assignment this week. We are here to help you get your business to the level you want it to be so you can enjoy the life of a small business owner. And we have somebody enjoying the life of a small business owner as the guest today. We, of course, spend his money all the time, so I don't really know how much he's enjoying it, but he's a little bit successful at it. Mike Allen, owner of Carfix. If you live in Garner at 40 and 42, Mike? Yep, that's yep, right. That's the, first, the original location. And then Lasseter Mill, uh, Whitaker Mill. Mill. I always yeah, did that twice. Whitaker Mill and Wake Forest, the location there in Raleigh, right yep. across from the, uh, what's the hot dog place? Snoopy's. Snoopy's, yeah. So if you've been by Snoopy's, just look to other, look Caddy Corner across the street, and that's where Carfix is. The One of the cool stories about Mike, he is a third-generation auto repair shop owner. Granddad right. started in 1927. Yep. Then Dad opened his in Chapel Hill. Yep. Now you. Did you have a choice? I did, actually. And uh, I chose, uh, tried my hardest to choose not to get into the automotive industry. Uh, I joke with friends that it's kind of like the mafia. Every time I try to get out, it pulled me back in. <laughs> um, but uh, my brother is not involved in the industry. And he called me at one point, I think it was 2001. And I was living in Charlotte at the time. Uh, and he said, look, I can't come back to the family business because he's in the military. He said, you are a fool if you don't go learn from dad and figure out how to make this work. And he's right. I was a fool. Uh, and to some degrees, I imagine I probably still am. But I, I went back to and worked for my dad starting in 2001. Um, Carfix was born in 2005. Uh, and the rest is history. So Your grandfather opened the first door where? It's in White Cross, North Carolina. It's a little wide spot in the road between Chapel Hill and Burlington, North Carolina. Uh, I just tell people I'm from Chapel Hill because nobody knows where White Cross is. Is the store still there? Uh, Part of the structure is still there. Um, Actually, we raised part of it uh, about two years ago because it was in such disrepair. Uh, But the actual automotive repair facility portion of it is still standing and being used uh, by a guy out in that part of the community now. Did you take down the house yeah. that surrounded the yeah, automotive so it shop? Was, it was funny. My grandfather's uh, shop was not just a shop. It was kind of the hub of the community. Uh, he built a one-bedroom on the back of it, uh, and then there was a general store and then a feedlot and then an auto repair shop. Uh, all of that was, uh, was there, and he was single when he built it, and so it was the social hub for all the single men in the community. Um, and eventually he got married and, and uh, had a family, and, and it became a little more wholesome, I guess. <laughs> did he did he live anywhere else after he opened the shop? No. no. He lived there till the day he died. Ooh, that's good financial living, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure he, he had uh he had everything paid off very early on. Did he build the did he build the house him, on top yeah. of that himself? Yeah, he built it all. So, nice. Uh we've actually got a picture of him as a younger man uh, working on, he didn't, we didn't have lifts back then. He just had ramps. He was working on a Model T outside uh, in front of the gas station. So it was a gas station too. Did your grandmother know what she was getting into? That the palatial estate she would be living in and, and what was her role in that, in the business? Well, I mean, it was a true family business, right? Uh, They were open from six, well, early on they were open from 5 a.m. to midnight uh, and they lived there. So, you know, you just get out of bed and, and you're at work. Uh, but uh, later, I think it was 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., 364 days a year. 
Christmas. Uh, no, they, they went to the mountains once a year to look at the leaves as the leaves were turning for one day. Um, and then they would come back Christmas. You're at home. You just, sometimes you pump gas, you know, while yeah. you're at home and sell groceries. So, that was the uh, unofficial news hub of White Cross, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was definitely the, it was one of the key social centers, right? And I remember growing up even, uh, I guess this was mid-80s when I would be there as a kid uh, just hanging out at my grandparents' place and all the old guys coming in. And I guess now I realize they were probably in their 40s or 50s, right? Uh, but when you're a kid, everybody's old. Oh, yeah. Uh, swapping tall tales and telling jokes and cutting up and all the what, especially Sunday morning because for better or worse, all the women went to church and all the men went to the shop to, to tell tall tales. And it was uh, quite the experience. What did they have to drink when they gathered to tell tall tales? Uh, no booze. It was all soda and crackers and peanuts, and uh, it was a working farm also. So, uh, you know, everybody would gather together, and uh, I can't remember the wording. It clean the produce, right? Yeah. Uh, pull the silk off the corn, shuck peas, whatever, uh, and tell stories. When some of the guys came to the shop just to sit around and tell stories, did your grandfather put him to work? Shucking corn and cleaning uh, stuff. So when the wives came to hung out to hang out with my grandmother, they would all volunteer to help out, right? Uh, and my grandmother was always in the kitchen because there were multiple proteins, multiple vegetables, multiple desserts for almost every meal. Uh, so she lived in the kitchen, right? Uh, but that was what she did. That's how she showed love was yeah. food. Um but the guys came to avoid work, right? They were there to get away from the house where yeah. they had things to do. Did so. your grandmother feed the guys while they were there? No. Okay. No, that was, was the rule? Yeah. Okay. It was, That's fair. It was family. Yeah. So. And a bottle of pop was five cents maybe? It was always free for me. I have no well, idea yeah. what it cost for them. Yeah. Uh, now, he, when he first opened, gas was a nickel a gallon. Uh, so... Uh, that's pretty cool. And we still have a lot of the old SO signs and a couple of the glass domes from the top of the, uh, the manual gas pumps that they had. It's pretty cool. And if people go to carfix.com, they can see pictures. So it's carfixautorepair.com. My bad. But yes, there are a yep. few pictures on there. We're actually building a new website right now, and we're going to have a fair amount more. We've got some pictures of my dad as a kid, probably five, standing on top of a fuel delivery truck and... Oh, those are huge. I love that you're yeah. putting those on there just so, to show the heritage. Yeah. Uh, any idea what your grandfather made a year running oh, that? No, no, not at all. But he uh, was a lot of cash business, so I don't think oh, yeah. he probably knew what he made a year. He just had enough. Had so, enough to pay the bills, yeah. right? So they uh, they didn't live high on the hog, as it were, but th they were secure, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he would offered credit to the community. So I remember he always had the, the credit book and people would come in and put it on the book and, mm -hmm. and come by and pay once a week or whatever it was. and Pay what they could. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, interestingly, he was uh, the only guy in Southern Orange County that would offer credit to uh, the black people in the community. Uh, so he was, I guess, well thought of by that community because he actually extended credit and treated them like normal human beings. How many competitors did he have in the market back then? There was a store, to me it's over the hill, probably a mile up the road. But by the time I can remember, it was out of business. 
Um, and then there was a store in Saxby Hall, which is a little bit to the west. And did they pump gas, sell gas too? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. that was a standard, right? Yeah. Central yeah. store and, a, yeah. and pumping gas. Yeah, you think about the stereotype of the old general store, that oh, was yeah. what it was. Yeah. So. How many pumps? Uh, two. How uh, often did the truck come by to fill up the... Gosh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I remember uh, this store closed when I was eight. Okay. So, but I remember it being there, but yeah, that's about it. And then your dad worked there... So dad grew up there, uh, and so dad had a, uh, you know, a hard uh, life of learning customer service because his bedroom was built on top of the showroom, and so he'd, he'd roll out of bed in the morning and barefoot have to walk down the little steps to get to the restroom. Before he could use the bathroom in the morning, he'd have to walk by and greet customers, you know, farmers who were in there you know, talking junk to him, boy, ain't you ever going to get out of bed? Well, it's, you know, six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> but they've been there since 530, you know, having coffee or whatnot. Uh, and so he had to learn how to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. How can I help you? And pump gas and everything else as, as a kid. Uh, so he grew up in it um, and hated it and left to go away to college and it's like the mafia it sucked him back in, right? Where have I heard um, that story before? Yeah, but keep yeah. talking. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's the same thing that I, I grew up around my grandfather's shop as a kid. And as I got older into my teen years, I grew up around dad's shop uh, working because he put me to work um, and I hated it. And I went away to college and then the mafia sucked me back in. Uh, so, but it's provided a wonderful living from my family and I am able to support my wife and kids and it's great. So, Did your dad ever want a second location? Yeah, a car fix originally was dad's second location. Uh, it, my father was heavily involved in the Independent Garage Owners Association of North Carolina. And through those connections, uh, the location where we are now came to him and, and said, hey, our business is not working. We need somebody to come take advantage of that. And uh, he was the person to do that because I, I didn't have the finances at that point in my life. How old uh, were you when, that, when they came to him? Basic math eludes me. I'm going to say I was 25, 26. Yeah. And his shop was in Chapel Hill. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and why there? Why did he open that one and um, buy that one? So when dad, so dad left the family business and came back to the industry, but didn't come back to the family business. And he worked for a gentleman um, in Chapel Hill who had three or four locations. And he became the general manager of all the locations. And then that gentleman decided to start to retire and sell off his locations. And dad bought one of those locations. Uh, and that was mid to late eighties. I don't remember when. And that one's still working. Yeah. So, uh, dad retired in 16 and sold the business back to the son of the guy he bought it from. Um, so, and that's now the Chapel Hill Tire Group. So I guess they've got yeah. seven or eight stores now. Was that an option for you to buy it? It was not. Uh, the land was not owned by dad. So. Fair enough. Um, so that's what the original owner did, just sold the business to sold your dad. The, sold the business the and held on to the land. And okay. uh, they had a good relationship. Um, Mr. Pons' son told my dad years in advance, said, hey, no hard feelings. When your lease is up in 2016, I'm not going to renew it because I want that location for my business. And you know, they, they worked out a deal that was good for everybody. Okay. So. And your dad was ready to, ready to retire by then? I don't think he thought he was, but in retirement, he realizes that he absolutely was. You know, okay. mom and dad right now are, they've got a souped up off-road Toyota with a camper on the back of it, and they're gallivanting around the Northern Rockies having a good old time. So uh, he says retirement suits him well. 
what was your connection to that Chapel Hill location, age-wise, um, anything? Well, I was born in 79, and uh, I guess I left in 2005, uh, so I've been there for four years. I came in, uh, initially, right when I came back, I worked in the shop briefly, um, but I'm, I'm not a technician, um, and I'm more of a people person. I want to interact with the clients, and I want to help them, and you know, people come into the shop, and they're stressed out. And I want to help relieve that stress. When they leave, I want to be like high-fiving, everything's good, what a great experience. So uh, I came up to the front pretty quickly, and it was a very, dad's operation was really big. So there were five people on the front counter. Um, it was bigger than some small dealerships. How many bays? Uh, 18. Still and, 18? Uh, I believe so, okay. yeah. So I know they've done some remodeling, but I don't think they would ever take any bays away. So, How old were you when you first started working there? Um, well, I mean, I started working there uh, when I was 13, okay. uh, changing oil and busting tires. And, and no desire for you to stay in the biz or to even think about going into the business. Any conversation with you and your dad, did he ever ask you, hey, do you think you'd um, like to do this? Well, I feel like he wanted me to do that as my uh, teenage years job to show me how hard hard work is mm -hmm. uh, and to encourage me to go and apply myself at college. Um, and I went to college. I did not apply myself, at least not towards academics. Um, so I don't know if that lesson stuck or not, but, um, can't wait till your kids go to college, uh, man, <laughs> you know, I don't get me off on a tangent about four year universities versus trade schools. So I, I should have gone to trade school is yep. what I should have done. Something to be said for that. Yeah. But you majored in motorcycles, if I remember the story. Motorcycles right? in the App summer State. and skiing in the winter and yeah. extracurricular activities year round and. In nowhere during your college time are you thinking, I'm going to come back and get in the uh, auto repair no, business? not even a little bit. I always knew that I would be okay. You know, I I always said I'll, I'll never go hungry because I can always go wait tables, mm. you know. So I, I, you can always push a broom or do something to, to, you know, sustain yourself. But I never thought I'd come back to the automotive industry. Are you a car guy? You know, I've thought a, a lot about that in the last year. Or so I think I am a. I'm not a car. I'm not a car nut who happens to have a business. I'm a business nut who happens to work in the automotive industry. I think I really enjoy the entrepreneurial spirit and learning about it and pursuing it. And I just happen to know a fair amount about cars and the automotive industry. So do you look at magazines? Do you watch cars go by and look at a '64? Chevy something or another and go. No, I can't I can't look say, well, you see how that taillight is yeah. round? That was on the fifty three only. Now your guy uh, at the shop can. Oh yeah. I've what's absolutely it? got guys like that. What's his name? The Well Yunky up front. Well, that's Jacob. Yeah. And that's in the Raleigh location. Yeah. And I've got a couple of guys like that in the Garner location. They're all about so, cars, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's been really key for me is I've tried to seek out people who are passionate mm -hmm. about what they're doing. And I mean it is they eat and breathe and sleep and live for cars. Uh, and that's worked really well because, you know, just, they're, they're working their dream job. So. We've talked about hiring and training before. There's some things you want to hire the attitude and train the mm -hmm. skill. Yeah. How patient are you to train somebody to a certain level when you're well, hiring? If they've got the right attitude and the right mentality, um, I'm pretty patient. Years. Uh, I've, I've got a, a guy in Garner that um, he was a technician 
uh, out of school, and after a few years of working on heavy-duty equipment, he blew his shoulder up, right? So he's passionate about cars, but he's, he, he's not able to work on them anymore. And so I hired him on as a service advisor, and it was a train wreck, right? But I knew this guy had the, the intellectual ability. He had the, uh, the aptitude. He just needed the training. And so it's been years now, but he's, he's wonderful at his job now. But, you know, we sent him to California for a week for training. We sent him to Dale Carnegie course for training. We buy online courses uh, for training. I mean, he did handwriting class for several months so that he could write legibly. Uh, uh, I didn't even think about uh, that. Yeah, I mean, so if people have the right attitude and they're willing to put in the effort and the work and they want to improve themselves, there's not much limit to what we'll do to try to help them see that. All right, let's talk pre-COVID. What was the hiring market like? Well, skilled labor has been a difficult market for a long time, right? Uh, we had my entire generation was raised in our uh, in the counselor's office in high school. There was that poster on the wall back there that had the dirty mechanic holding the wrench and the happy graduate holding the diploma. It said, work smarter, not harder, right? Really? And so trades and trade school and not going to a four-year school was thought of as less than for an entire generation. Oh, very much And it so. still is to a degree, but that mm-hmm. boat's starting to turn around slowly. Um, so there are a lot more highly skilled technicians retiring every year than there are matriculating into the industry. Um, so we've actually adopted North Carolina uh, community colleges and the state government have a uh, North Carolina apprenticeship program, which is an awesome program. And I just, last week we had a new apprentice start in Raleigh. And if a high school student decides they want to go into one of the trades uh, and they sign on with a company that is an authorized apprenticeship uh, business, uh, the state will pay their tuition to uh, North Carolina Community College for that trade school. So this young man is going to go to Wake Tech in the automotive program with no tuition, uh, and he's going to be working part-time for us, getting real-world on-the-job training while he gets the didactic portion in the school, yeah. by the time he graduates, he's going to have 2,000 hours of real-world experience, plus every semester that he keeps on pace, we're giving him a raise, right? So he's going to be able to support a, pa- support a family by the time he's 20 years old with no debt, which is pretty exciting. And yeah. if there are any parents of young kids that love working with their hands or are not especially suited to uh, a college environment, turn them on to the North Carolina apprenticeship program because it's not just automotive, it's plumbing, it's electrical, it's general contracting, it's uh, cosmetology school. It's all sorts of different options. It's, it's a great program. I know the electrician world is hurting. Mm-hmm. I heard a number that the average age of the electrician in North Carolina is like 54. Mm-hmm. And again, there's nobody, there's no bench, Yeah, nobody behind them. We've come to terms with the fact in our industry that we're going to have to start training up new guys ourselves because the schools are not pumping them out in a, in a acceptable rate. And uh, it's just, you know, you've got to figure out a way to do it. There, there are more cars on the road today than there ever have been. Oh yeah. So. And that number will likely grow mm-hmm. for the people that don't understand the trade world. And I'm going to use that word very nicely. That don't understand the trade world. They have no idea the living that can be made. Oh yeah in those worlds. There's money to be made. Absolutely. There's your own business to have mm-hmm. and there's a need for it. And they just, a lot of people just, they don't even think twice about even looking at it. 100%. Not to disparage four-year degrees, uh, but there are a lot of young people out there who have 
gotten out of school and they've got, you know, a degree in 18th century French literature mm-hmm. and they got $150,000 in student loan debt. And it's really hard to find that job unless you're going to be a teacher at the yeah. school that you just got out of. Right. Um, and I've got 20 year old guys that are making $50,000 a year and they have a, a marketable skill set oh, yeah. high demand. So, yeah. And there, and there's going to be work for them for a long time. Yep, absolutely. You were never mechanics were never under any danger of being closed when COVID started, right? No, we were very fortunate. We were deemed essential, and yeah, uh, we, you know, we closed our lobbies, uh, and we had uh, you know drop off and pick up. We really highlighted our valet service at that point because a lot of people didn't want to leave the house, so we would go to the client's house, pick up the car seat covers, steering wheel covers, wipe down the top contact points, deliver it back to them, wipe everything down again. Uh, we had a lot of clients that would leave the keys on the front steps mm-hmm. and we would place the keys back on the front steps and wave at them through the window, you know, that yeah. kind of deal. But that helped us um, kind of survive the storm that has been COVID to this point. But it's those pivots, though, that are going to make the businesses that get through this even more successful because now let's say – I still think I'm going to be wrong on that day because Joe Aiello tells me, and I was dead wrong when we first started. So, and I just say that now, we're going to be, we know each other through BNI, which mm-hmm. is Business Networking International. We're meeting via Zoom, and this show will come out on September first. We're going to be doing Zoom till January, in my mind, at least till January. So, even if April one next year, all of a sudden there's a, a cure, things are better you have the option of still keeping that valet service. Oh, it'll never go away. Right. Yeah, it's... It's it, another revenue stream for you because people are like, oh, wait. Again, I blame the remote control back in the day when it wasn't me for my dad <laughs> when we finally got a remote control because a rem- remote control spawned the microwave. And then everything went from there. Oh, wait. And then it's one of the reasons why Amazon's doing so well. And you can call Food Line, give them your order. They'll shop for you and you pick it up. Great. If it's worth paying for, if you deem my time is worth more than shopping, great. But you're going to get more customers that way, aren't you? Because you can come to them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's spawned a conversation among some in my industry because a lot of the people that don't wait for business to happen to them, they go and and adjust when they see a a need, did the same thing. The valet service Um, is, is it possible to build a business 100% off of valet service where you no longer have to worry about having that high profile piece of real estate on a hot corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go put your shop in the back of a warehouse district and save so much money in overhead and just do 100% valet service or yeah. 90% valet service. Um, but that's an interesting conversation. I don't think most people, if they trust their mechanic, I don't really care. I bring my car to you. I don't really care where you're located. It makes zero. Now, there are some that are different because, like, oh, they want to drive by their place and tell their buddies, see the BMW place. That's, you know, I don't drive a BMW. I don't really care. It, it just it matters not to me. Is the quality good? Is the price fair? I, I don't even care if I have to drive it there. So I think you've got uh, people that are relationship-based, right? They want to have a relationship with their mechanic mm-hmm. or their doctor or their plumber, whoever it is. Um, and then you've got uh, enthusiasts. And they will seek out someone who knows as much as they do about their Alfa Romeo or whatever it is. And they will drive past 100 shops to get to that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, the motoring public, on the whole, thinks of auto repair as an annoyance. 
Oh uh, yeah. Or ma- auto maintenance even. Oh, we're, we're always uh, getting so, screwed. You're you're jacking it up fifty percent. We know that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I just lay that out on the table. There, we're just we're all crooks. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it, we all and every other stereotype we can think of, but only they're clean. Ones. Yeah, only the mechanics. yeah, yeah. So you've also made a. I, get, I don't know if it's a pivot. It's more of an adjustment on the types of cars you're looking to work on now. Yeah. The higher end. Well, I mean, you need to be there to provide the service for the market that's immediately around you, right? I'm yeah. uh, Unlike some of the other trades, we don't go to the clients. For the most part, the clients come to us. So uh, if we've got a brick-and-mortar location, um, 80% of your clients are going to live or work within five miles of that address, right? Um, so in our Garner location... Yeah, there's a lot of domestic and and, uh, and Asian vehicles, and so that's what we developed to specialize in. Uh, there's a lot more trucks than there are uh, small cars, right? So you have to have lifts and space that are equipped for that type of vehicle. Well, in the rally location, there's a lot more European vehicles. There's a lot of BMWs and Audis and Mercedes. Um, not a lot of really large trucks, you know, not a lot of F-250s and that kind of stuff. So uh, the facility, your tooling, the skill set of your technicians that you train – needs to be aimed at the cars that are driving by your front door every day. Uh, so I've realized that as we grow the business, as we scale, they're not all going to be able to be cookie cutters. Um, I guess you could, but you're going to leave some oh. on the table if you do. Uh, so there needs to be some pliability there to be able to adjust to the market for each location. Most of my analogies are sports related, and this is actually a pretty good one right now. The New England Patriots used to have Tom Brady, now they got Cam Newton. Belichick's going to have to adapt to Newton's skill set because he could kind of do different things. He can't put him in, oh, let's just have him drop back like Brady did. That's a waste of his skill set. What I like about you is the the location you bought in Raleigh, you're adapting to that. And I think some businesses try to put that square peg in the round hole, and there's enough slices of pies around that you kind of got to give the people what they want. You know, if I went to 20 miles outside of Boone uh, in rural North Carolina in the mountains and tried to open a Mercedes specialty shop, yeah. you know, that'd be a pretty hard path to take. You know, there are not going to be a lot of those target clients in that area. You need to be focusing on what's available and what's what's in the market. So, yeah, it's common sense, I think. Right? How are you getting a word out to that to that world? Um. You want to get down to the like nitty gritty of what we're doing marketing wise? Um, Give me the ten thousand foot. Yeah, we we have marketing campaigns that are aimed directly at the owners of the vehicles that we want to work on. Uh, so you, know, you can buy lists from the DMV that say this year make and model of car exists at these addresses, and so we've identified those target vehicles and we've identified kind of the the avatar of our ideal client, and we overlap those two data sets. And we take the intersection and we just, all of our marketing is aimed at that person with that car. And so all of our decisions are filtered through, is that going to appeal to soccer mom Joan in her Mercedes ML, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Um, and or single it, guy Steve that's got. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and while they both drive cars that I want to work on, the same message doesn't work on both of those people. Mm-hmm. So they've got to be different. Right. Yeah. And that's, the case for direct mail, it's the case for AdWords, it's the case for Facebook posts, it's the case for community marketing. 
And one of the reasons I enjoy having you on the show today is because in the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about seeking new locations because we've never really talked about multiple locations on the store before. But your advertising for Garner is different than Raleigh. Yeah, absolutely. Because of who lives there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sometimes like, well, by golly, this is what I do. Eh, you got to solve a problem, right? Well, I mean, McDonald's works everywhere, right? Yeah. But I'm not sure that I've got Ray Kroc's brain. So I'm going to work on what I know works and, uh, and and see if I can build the systems and processes and procedures that but work. But Chipotle may not. Yeah. Right. They yeah. may need to be in a different subdivision yeah. than McDonald's. Well, and there are some high-end communities that don't want McDonald's, and they're not going to let McDonald's come in, too. Oh, so. I so yeah. love McDonald's. I love the dollar. <laughs> I'm a dollar menu guy, so but I know what I'm getting. But we talked about that on another on another <laughs> another podcast. But I know what I'm getting. So consistency is key. But but yes, exactly. But in general, though, you got to know your clients. Yeah. And I've been on this kick lately. I've done a couple of Facebook Live presentations and working with some folks that I've been doing a lot of virtual networking, talking with folks and, and talking specifically about identifying your ideal client. And it drives me nuts when people stand up and say, oh, I can help anybody. No, hey, you can't. The numbers prove that because there's 24 hours in a day. So let's shoot that one down. But the other thing is, so if 500 clients showed up tomorrow morning, you could service every one of them. And no, none... I, I don't know who could. Not many of us. You'd have a nice long line out to the belt line and then another two miles down to Newburn, probably <laughs> 500 cars, right? But business owners need to take your advice on understanding where you, you're, the neighborhood you're in. Yeah, I think, uh, and you said we'll talk about it later, but I mean, you need to know the neighborhood that you're moving into before you move into it. Yes. And you need to know if that neighborhood works for your model. And if it doesn't, are you able to change your model to fit for the neighborhood or do you need to look for a different neighborhood? So it's a bigger conversation. And you're actively seeking yeah. more locations. Absolutely. Are you happy with getting back into the industry? Yes, 100%. All right. I had, I had some periods of waffling, uh, I want to say 2009, uh, and one of my father's friends pulled me aside <laughs> And pretty much called me a, a big dumb a, uh, and for, so. not, uh, for not realizing uh, the opportunity that was being laid in front of me. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point, I was still relatively dumb. And I thought, well, you know, dad's just going to give me the business. That's not how it works. Uh, we, we had a, there's a great book that is, in my opinion, it's a great book. It doesn't have hardly any critical acclaim, but uh it's 12 questions is the name of the book, but it's uh, multi-generational family businesses, 12 questions that every uh, family that's in that situation needs to ask of one another annually to make sure there are no preconceived notions or unspoken expectations. Uh, so, but you know, generational family business is a whole nother topic that has a lot of intricacy and oh, yeah pitfalls and benefits. Can we make the assumption that it's assumed within the generation, multi-generational family that somebody's always going to take over the family business? No, not at all. And there are a lot of, in my industry, there are a lot of multi-generational family shops that are going to come to an end soon because 60 year old dad assumed that junior uh, or daughter were going to take over the business and has found out they don't want it. Uh, after the kid worked there for 10 years, and they said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I see 
dad, you never take vacation. Dad, you're always at work, even when you're not at work. I don't want that. Uh, yeah. And they're finding them. They had no other plan. That was their retirement plan. So that's something that's going to happen in my industry over the next five or six years in, in waves, I believe. Will so, that be opportunities for you to grow? Yeah, I think so. Do you have a, not asking the number, do you have a number by the time you're 60? Uh, a number of locations. No, okay. I, uh, my, my wife asked me recently, how much is the number or how much is enough? And I said, I don't, I know, I think, I feel like I'll know when I get there mm, yeah. or if I can make the business run effectively without needing every ounce of my attention, uh, then doesn't matter if it continues to grow and be healthy and not consume me, then why not let it grow? And that's the lesson out of this is to scale properly because you don't you couldn't drive back and forth every day that would be a waste of your skill set yeah spending all your time driving between locations is not productive so i do i do a lot of my work from my home office now a lot of times when we get on zoom meetings together you'll see that i'm i'm at home i see the wings Uh, in the back um but uh most of what i do now i can doesn't require me me to be in any one location. So I'll spend time at both locations every week just to be there. So in case anybody wants to talk to me and they don't feel comfortable sending me an email or something so I can get some FaceTime with the guys and hang out and talk to them. But um, most of what I do can be done at a computer. When you're scouting out and you're actively looking for a third location is the first step. First step has to be, it's the right place. Let's Mm -hmm. assume right location prices, right. And everything. And you know, May March 1, mm-hmm. 2021, this deal's going to go down. Is your first step finding that person to run it? Or do well, you assume you'll be living there for six months? Well, I assume I'll be living there for some period of time. I mean, uh, in Raleigh, it was four months before I brought someone in and groomed them to take it over. Um, but my hope moving forward is that I will constantly be cultivating the skill sets of the people that we have on the team so that I have someone ready that can move over. And, you know, I've got people that have come to me and said, you know, I want more than where I am. I want to be a manager. I want to be a, you know, I want to go from the back of the shop to the front or whatever it might be. And so we're giving them additional responsibility and doing book studies with them about leadership and management and things like that so that I feel like I can plug them in and I'm still going to be there with them for a a while to make sure that I'm not going to let them just, sink or swim right but uh, eventually if it grows to the point where there's 10 15 20 locations we need to have the systems in place so that we can open a new location and it doesn't require me to be there at all other than out of curiosity right Um, are you better at diagnosing cars or diagnosing employees and where they go employees yeah technology I, i love talking about the technology of cars but the evolution of automotive technology is it's on an exponential growth curve and it's, uh, it's well beyond me at this point. So I love the psychology of, of managing people uh, and developing teams and leadership. And, you know, I love the math of entrepreneurship and crunching numbers. So that's where I, that's where I spend most of my time. And it shows cause there's a, there had well to buy a business there has to be a plan, but to go to multiple locations, there's gotta be a method to the madness. Cause yeah. you can't just, I'm ready for a third. 
Where? I just, I'm ready. Yeah, just go pick one up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just run out of the store and grab one. Because they're all cheap and you can yeah. afford it. Yeah, so. Uh, anyways, we are here with Mike Allen, owner of CarFix. Go to carfixautorepair.com. Go visit the store in Garner at 4042 or in Raleigh if you are here on Whitaker Mill and Wake Forest Road. Uh, and we will, Mike, we appreciate having you here today. Yeah, man. And My we'll pleasure. see you next time on our Wired to Change podcast.